Welcome back to The Der Show. Today, I want to talk about uh, two issues that are in the news, um, uh, both of which I know something about. One is Nikki Haley's uh, announcement that she is going to take on Donald Trump and run against him. And the other thing, if we have time, uh, uh, otherwise we'll talk about it tomorrow, um, and that is Vice President Pence's decision uh, to resist the subpoena from the special counsel on the interesting ground, not of executive privilege, but of uh, his role as president of the Senate. Uh, we'll talk about that. I have a, a special constitutional expertise on that issue, which I'd like to uh, share with you. I just want to remind you, though, also that if you don't have enough of me three days a week for a half an hour, you can get me every single day for two minutes. Uh, if you just join our locals community, it's uh, at Dershow, D-E-R-S-H-O-W dot locals dot C-O-M dot com at dershow.locals.com, uh, the local community, and you get a two-minute uh, squib every single day, uh, my opinion on something. And, uh, um, and um, so I hope you'll, you'll join the locals. It's, it's an easy thing. It's an easy thing to do. And I'm easy to take the two minutes, maybe a little harder for a half an hour, but here you are. So let's talk about Nikki Haley. I got to know Nikki a bit. Uh, when she was at the United Nations. Obviously, she was a very strong supporter of Israel at the United Nations and a strong supporter of the United States and all in all, a great a great uh, U.S. representative to the U.N. I know something about that job because my former boss, Justice Arthur Goldberg, served in that capacity and I kind of was an informal advisor to him during one of the most critical periods in uh, history, uh, right after the 67 war, when the United Nations Security Council passed Resolution 242, which laid out the parameters of a potential peace. It's been 50 years and nothing's happened. But um, in any event, I worked with Justice Goldberg on that proposal. And I got to know a lot of people at the UN. And I live right near the UN. So um, I was thrilled when Nikki Haley got the job uh, as ambassador to the UN. And she did she did a great job. And then while she was in the job, the Magain um, David Adom, which is the um, Israeli Red Cross, the Red Star of David, but it's the equivalent of the Red Cross, uh, had a fundraiser. And they asked me if I would interrogate uh, Nikki Haley um, for an hour on the stage. And so um, I did. And we spent some time together in the green room and spent some time together having a drink afterward. Um, I, I'm not saying I'm a friend, but I've gotten to know her fairly well, and I like her a lot. I think she'd be a great president. Um, she, her story is fantastic. Um, you know, grew up um, relatively um, uh, poor in, in in South Carolina, where my wife is from, uh, of a from a family of uh, people who came from India. Um, obviously, in South Carolina. Being uh, Indian is 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 not uh, the most common thing in the world, and I'm sure she suffered the slings and arrows of uh, what everybody suffers when they're a little different in elementary school or or high school. And um, you know she prevailed, and and she worked in her parents' dress shop or something like that, and then went into politics. Um, President Trump today called her a, a lifelong politician. Uh, that. that you know, look, I don't blame uh, Trump for going after the opponent. That's what you do in politics. Um, um, I think Haley will be a little more gentle in going after Trump. We know that uh, 
although Trump has gone after DeSantis in a pretty vicious way. DeSantis has not responded. I think people have learned the lesson. You don't provoke Trump. Uh, um, so far, Nikki Haley hasn't gotten a nickname. Um, I, I hope she doesn't. I don't think nicknames are uh, necessarily productive to nuanced thinking in American society. But um, look, it's so clear what's going to happen. If only Nikki Haley runs in the primaries against Donald Trump, um, she may very well beat him. Um, the, the polls are fairly, fairly strong. On the other hand, that's not likely to happen. If, if Republicans really wanted to beat Trump, they would run one candidate. Um, DeSantis would also, I think, beat Trump on a one-on-one, -on -one, probably do even better than uh, Nikki Haley, although I think he has more negatives. Um, uh, I think Nikki Haley has very few negatives. Um, I loved her statement today saying she hates bullies, and uh, when she fights back against bullies, uh, she hurts them even more with her high heels. So, uh, you know, she's something of a feminist. Um, she is somebody who comes from a background different than any who's ever run for president before and um, smart as hell and uh, a good politician, very personable, very charming. Uh, she really charmed everybody at this uh, thousand person event that uh, she and I both spoke at. Um, she spoke at it. I asked her, I asked her hard questions um, and um, um, she will do very, very well. In a debate, she'll do very, very well in front of crowds. She won't be intimidated. Uh, look, she's been at the UN and uh, at the UN, which is a temple of hate uh, against uh, Israel, against the United States, against Western democracies. She stood up for a democracy and, and did an extremely, extremely good job. Nobody can, I think, criticize her. And particularly President Trump can't criticize her. President Trump picked her. And then when she left, he praised her to the sky. And that's unusual. He usually... When people have left the Trump administration, it's been um, uh, a leaving that's been colored by all kinds of accusations and counter accusations. And so uh, Nikki Haley is one of the few people who left on very good terms. And she's been supportive of, of President Trump. She was not supportive of his role on January 6th, as nobody should have been. Uh, for me, that's almost a disqualification um, um, for supporting um, what would have been an unlawful attempt to undo a completely uh, lawful election. Now, you know, maybe in the beginning it wasn't so clear, but as time went on, it's become completely clear that uh, Joe Biden was elected uh, completely uh, properly and legally. Of course, I'm going to get a lot of letters on my Rumble um, uh, web uh, about how, how can I think that? Look, the votes were all, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Look, any objective person, history will look at this election and see it was uh, completely fair. There were problems with it. Of course, the Pennsylvania vote uh, should not have allowed um, people to vote after the legislature closed the election on a particular day um, under Article 2 of the Constitution. That's the final word, uh, the legislature. You can't have the courts interfering with that. That was a mistake, but the number of votes that were cast after that closing date were not enough to affect the outcome of the election. And I think none of the claims of, of uh, fraud or mistake were enough to change the outcome of the election. And Nikki Haley has never been on the side of election uh, deniers the way some 
other people who should have known better have been. So um, I think she comes to the race uh, with the potential support of many, many moderate Republicans, centrist Republicans, anti-Trump Republicans, probably some pro-Trump Republicans uh, who think Trump's too old or who think that uh, Trump won't win. Um, Nikki Haley, if she gets the nomination, has a really good shot. She's, what, 51 years old or something like that. Uh, if she were running against an 82-year-old uh, incumbent, that's that's a factor. That would be something that uh, would incline some moderate Republicans and even some Democrats, perhaps, uh, to vote for her. So I think she would be a formidable, formidable uh, opponent to both uh, Donald Trump and to uh, Biden. I, I, I've said this before. If Trump doesn't get the nomination and or if he doesn't run, um, it's not completely clear to me that Biden will run. Biden feels he has to run to beat Trump, that it's in the national interest, he believes, that Trump not be elected president. And he knows and pollsters know that he can beat Trump on a one on one. He's done it before and he would probably do it again. But if he he's going to be an old man, uh, almost as old as me. Oh, my God. And um, um, I don't think he'll want to run again if he doesn't have to. And the feeling is if Trump isn't running, um, probably the Democrats would do better to nominate someone else um, against to run against a younger, more vibrant uh, a candidate. It's too early to tell. And you know, primaries have a way of wiping people's ambitions out. I mean, who would have known? Uh, I remember when Rudy Giuliani first threw his hat into the ring. I thought he was a natural candidate. He was, you know, this is before any of the um, January 6th stuff. Um, he was such an obvious candidate. He was America's mayor. He had done a great job in New York. He had done a great job as a U.S. attorney. And he got knocked out. Early, early, early on, uh, for no obvious reason, a smart guy with a lot of uh, voter appeal, had done so well in New York in, her, in a very Democratic city, winning uh, as a Republican mayor, uh, could have run as often as he wanted. He would have won every year. So uh, there's no, no telling what the electorate will feel like. Look, it all depends on it's the economy, stupid. And um, the economy is playing tricks. We don't know where the economy will be uh, a year from now. And it's really a year from now, which will determine who gets the nomination. We're, you know, in the middle of February. That's really the beginning of the presidential season in 2024. Um, and so um, by a year from now, we'll know who the field is. Uh, and probably the field will even have been narrowed at some point. And then I think both parties are playing games with the uh, order of uh, primaries. The Democrats have certainly shifted their order of primaries. And New Hampshire seems to be losing its, uh, and, and Iowa seems to be losing its preferred positions as a bellwether for who gets the nomination for good reason, because neither of those states are particularly good predictors of how people will do in the general election. Obviously, Ohio and Florida and Pennsylvania are much, much better predictors, Minnesota, um, Michigan, uh, for how um, a candidate uh, will do. And so those primaries ought to have greater weight. Uh, but when you have a person doing well in a state, which has always gone one way or the other, uh, it's, it's not particularly predictive of how it's going to, uh, it's going to come out. 
So um, I'm a Nikki Haley fan. Um, I'm not telling you I'm voting for her. I've never voted for a Republican candidate for president. I can tell you a couple of things. If she runs against Bernie Sanders, I'm voting for her. If she runs against Elizabeth Warren, I'm voting for her. If she runs against anyone from the squad, I'm voting for her. But, you know, if she runs against uh, Klaubisher, Senator, or uh, other moderate centrist Democratic uh, senators, I'm going to vote for the Democrat. I'm a Democrat. Been a Democrat since I voted for John Kennedy in 1960, was it? 1960. Yeah. um, And uh, in those days, he had to be 21. So I didn't get to vote in the election before that. 18 became the law only later on. So I'm hoping to vote for a good Democrat. Would vote for a good Republican over a bad Democrat. That's the way it is. I did that when I was in Massachusetts. I voted for uh, Bill Weld as governor. Uh, I voted a number of times for Republicans when they were better than Democrats. I am not a loyal Democrat. Let me be very clear about that. I'm not happy with the Democratic Party. I'm very upset with many of the things that they have done and stood for. They haven't stood up enough against uh, cancel culture, uh, against uh, woke culture, against identity politics. Um, so when I pick uh, a candidate, I not only pick the candidate, I pick the party. I pick the platform. Mostly I pick the candidate. And mostly, mostly... I vote for the lesser of the two evils. Um, I, I like Biden, but would he have been my first choice to be president of the United States? I don't know. Uh, but when you're given a choice between two candidates, you have to pick one of them. I've never not voted. I can easily imagine not voting if um, if the Democrats would have put up uh, um, somebody really, really awful um, against somebody on the Republican side that I couldn't vote for. But hard to imagine that. I mean, I, I love voting. I love, I used to love, um, you know, going to the polls with my children and, you know, meeting my friends outside when I used to have friends, uh, meeting my friends outside in Cambridge and, you know, schmoozing with them and talking to them and then maybe having a coffee afterward. Um, those days are gone forever. Today, people vote by, um, uh, machines or they vote, um, a month before the election or they vote by paper, um, envelopes. I don't love any of that. Uh, I wish we could go back to the days of, of voting booths, uh, secrecy, um, hand counting. Um, but uh, hey, I'm a luddite. I, I'm, I'm I go back to the uh, an earlier time. But um, I'm old-fashioned when it comes to that. Let's spend just a few minutes on Pence. Okay, so cleverly, he has decided at the moment, at least not to invoke executive privilege, perhaps because he doesn't want to get into a situation where he has to defend, depend on um, the president of the United States, either the current president or the former president, to invoke executive privilege. Uh, executive privilege belongs to the president, and uh, the president could waive it. And I don't think the president, I don't think Trump would, and I don't think Biden could, but um, it, it's possible. So he's invoked this, this privilege, and I'll read it to you from the Constitution. It's, as usual, not particularly well-written. The Constitution really could have used an editor. It's a brilliant, a brilliant document, but boy, are there, are there mistakes in it and, and ambiguities in it. I have a cartoon that I always love. It's the framers of the Constitution standing around one and saying to the other, why don't we put a few ambiguous uh, words in there just to play with their heads? And, and of course, they did that. Um, they shall, 
that is senators and congressmen, in all cases except treason, felony, and breach of the peace, be privileged from arrest during their attendance at the session of their respective houses and in going and returning from the same. In other words, they can't be arrested when they're in the Senate or in the House or on the way there or on the way back. Um, I think I remember one case where a guy was drunk on the way to the, <laughs> the house and he, he couldn't be arrested. Okay, that's that's the first part. The second part says, and for any speech or debate in either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. So if you're making a speech and you defame somebody, for example, you can't be questioned. I have a case on that right now where I'm representing somebody who was clearly defamed, without a doubt, in the House of Representatives unfairly uh, by a congressman. But um, the congressman is exempt. Uh, the question is, is the person who also participated, it was not a congressman exempt. That issue is one that I'm studying now and, and considering. But uh, Pence doesn't fit neatly into either of those categories. He wasn't arrested on the way to the Senate. Uh, and uh, he isn't being summoned to be questioned about any speech or debate that he had when he was the president of the Senate. But he was the president of the Senate, the presiding officer of the Senate. He cast the deciding vote in a number of um, situations. He can't be questioned about any of that. I don't think he ever made a speech in the Senate. I don't even think he's allowed to make a speech in the Senate. He did. Yes, he did make a speech. Of course, he made a speech when he refused to comply with uh, President Trump's um, request or demand or order um, that, um, you know, manipulation should take place and he shouldn't accept the votes. I think he did make a, a speech as presiding officer, but if he's questioned about that, he has an absolute right not to respond. And indeed, special prosecutor has an absolute obligation not to ask him. Any questions about that? But I don't think that's what they want to ask him about. They want to ask him about what happened in the White House. And in the White House, he doesn't have the legislative privilege, but he may have an executive privilege, but that might depend on what the executive says. He was only the vice executive. So these are interesting issues. Oh, to be a constitutional lawyer again. Well, I'm still a constitutional lawyer. I'm just not teaching it, but um, still practicing it. One of these days, I'll get it right. I've been practicing so long. Okay. Let's now turn to uh, the questions. Uh, we talked a lot about the Super Bowl uh, the other day. I'm still, still still angry. I just think it would have been so much more interesting had that official not called that questionable call about whether he tugged the jersey of the guy. He says he did, but I don't think he's right. I mean, he's not in the best position to know that. Um, he was in the middle of the game. You can see it on camera. He basically just touched it. Mostly they would never call that. And they shouldn't call it with two minutes to go in the game. And it changed the game completely. I don't think that the Eagles would have won, but they might have. After all, what the situation would have been had that foul not been called, had that penalty not been called, the, the uh, Chiefs would have had to kick a field goal at that point with little under two minutes to go, they would have made the field goal. They would have been ahead by three points. But then Hurd would have had um, 90 seconds or 100 seconds to try to get three points to tie the game or seven points to win the game. And, you know, you can't put it beyond Hurd to have been able to do that. He's a miracle. Uh, he's a miracle worker. Uh, by the way, speaking of that, uh, there was one question. Yeah. 
that goes directly to that. So let me skip to that. Alan, as a member of the left, I'm not a member of the left. I've never been a member of the left. I'm a you know, liberal, civil libertarian. But Alan, as a member of the left, can you explain why you had to mention the race of the quarterbacks? It had absolutely nothing to do with the game or the outcome. Why does the left focus so intently on race and or religion? That's an interesting question. It is, look, I grew up, um, it's 1947, I was uh, nine years old. And one of the most significant events of my young life in Brooklyn was watching Jackie Robinson put on uh, a Brooklyn Dodger uniform and become the best player on the team. Uh, it was a very significant event for us Jewish kids in Brooklyn. You know, our attitude was if an African-American kid from California can become uh, a major league baseball player, we can do anything. Uh, we can go on to become law professors. Who knows what the limits are? And so, you know, race was important. I grew up, I was 16 years old when Brown versus the Board of Education came down. So race does matter. And I just wanted to celebrate the fact that for the first time in Super Bowl history, two great quarterbacks, and they're two of the greatest quarterbacks that ever were. I mean, uh, Mahomes may be, may be the best. They ultimately surpassed Brady. Uh, what he did the other day was just so typical of, of, of what he's capable of, of doing. Um, you know, he was helped a lot by a punt return that broke um, the, the Super Bowl uh, record for the most yards, and he was helped by a dropped fumble um, by the Eagles quarterback. But he won the game with the help of an official, but he won the game, and, uh, and, and both quarterbacks were exceptional. And I just wanted to uh, celebrate the fact that we have two African-American quarterbacks for the first time. Yeah, I agree with you. There shouldn't be too much of an emphasis on race, and that didn't have any outcome um, on the game. In fact, when I first saw Mahomes play, I had to ask one of my sons, um, or maybe one of my sons just mentioned, that he was African-American. I didn't immediately sense that, particularly from under a, um, a helmet, uh, in any event. Um, okay, so more football. How do you square your professed love with America with attending an event that starts with the performers showing their contempt for the American flag and national anthem? First of all, I didn't see that at the Super Bowl. I remember they had two songs. They, they first started with America the Beautiful, um, and I don't think anybody ever kneels for that. And then if people knelt during the... Um, Jerry. Look, the kneeling that for me was the most disturbing was when the Chiefs had a chance to score with a minute and a half at the end of the game. They took a knee. They knelt. Uh, if I were the commissioner of football, I would outlaw that. I would say if you have a clear path to a touchdown, you cannot go down on your knee and make a tactical decision not to get the touchdown. I just think that's a bad call to uh, allow a team to do that. You'll disagree with me because tactically it was the right thing to do. Of course, tactically it was the right thing to do. The question is, is it the right rule to have? I just think it, it's terrible for a sport when a team fails to do what it's able to do, what it's supposed to do, that is get, get a touchdown. So, um, I don't like when players take a knee. I would never take a knee. I stand up proudly. I put my hand on my heart. I sing loudly, sometimes off key, the national anthem. Um, in fact, <laughs> we had a big debate once because I was uh, having dinner at the beginning of a Red Sox game in the Red Sox you know, restaurant overlooking the game, and they uh, played the national anthem. And I talked to whoever I was there with, I think my, one of my sons, and I said, oh, do I have 
do we have to stand up? We're in a restaurant. It's closed. And we stood up, you know, look, respect, respect. The food got cold, but that was okay. I'm a patriot. I love America. I love football. I don't like taking a knee, but you, uh, you, you, you have to take what you got. And so I'm going to continue to watch football. Um, all right. As someone who's watched you off and on for a while now, I feel like it's important for me to send you this. You speak a lot about cancel culture and free speech. Isn't it time you discussed one of your segments, the increasing book burning being done by Republican-led states, mostly Florida? Uh, how is this constitutional, especially if not mandated? Reading, how can DeSantis ban topics? He doesn't like I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it's wrong. And DeSantis is just trying to take over a college in, um, in, in I think it's in Western Florida called the New College, which had been a kind of woke place, a bastion of left, et cetera. And DeSantis didn't like it. So he fired the board of uh, the, the school and they substituted a new president and they got rid of the old lefty president and put in a new right president. I don't like that. I don't like that. I certainly don't like book burning. It was uh, a great, great poet, uh, Heinrich Heine, who once said, if you start by burning books, you'll end by burning people. And that certainly happened in his native land of, of Germany. So I am officially opposed to what DeSantis is is doing in relation to schools and books. Um, I think he has a point about not uh, having elementary students uh, taught about the details of, of uh, sexuality, but um, I think he's taken it, in my view, a little, a little too far. Uh, if the United States is trying to define religion, this could be a Pandora's box. Naturally, there are infinite number of religions. And the important point is under our constitution, non-religion, gets as much protection as religion. That's why I'm opposed to the symbol on our coins and God we trust and God some of us trust. Um, when I was a kid, there was a sign on my neighborhood store. I grew up in a very religious community, but we had a good sense of humor. And it said, in God we trust, everyone else has to pay cash. Um, so um, uh, we mocked, we always uh, made fun of our of our own religion. Okay. Uh, I'm not making excuses for Gertrude Stein's anti-Semitism, but like former presidents who own slaves, she can only be fairly judged within the moral context of her era. I agree. And by the moral context of her era, she was a despicable, horrible, miserable Nazi. I remember, she lived at a time in the 1930s and 40s when anti-Nazism uh, was, was predominant in the world, uh, when the French resistance uh, was there, when America was fighting against Nazism. Uh, how dare she be a Nazi? Uh, yeah, I'll judge her by the standards of her time. And by the standards of her time, uh, she's a despicable, miserable human being um, who wrote you know, mediocre poetry and plays. Um, but her own personal life is a, a, a disgrace. There's a special place in hell uh, for Jews who became Nazis and collaborated with uh, the Nazis and collaborated with the Gestapo and uh, uh, she deserves a special place in that seventh circle of hell. I hope she's there and I hope she's burning. Okay. Um, Professor Dirsch is right about the marketplace. But you can't nowadays if things are so one-sided in the media, especially. It has an adverse effect on people that don't have their views. And of course, that's right. And, you know, the marketplace of ideas uh, goes well beyond government. Um, I'm involved now with a dispute uh, about uh, Newsmax, 
Newsmax, I'm a contributor to Newsmax. I am on Newsmax two or three times a week. I'll be on Newsmax tonight in five minutes after I finish this uh, broadcast on the Greta Van Susteren show. And and Newsmax has just been deplatformed by Atlantic Broadband and AT&T. They claim for economic reasons. That doesn't really pass the giggle test. Um, economic reasons uh, would certainly encourage them to have as many different points of view as, as possible. In fact, their stocks have gone down. Don't know whether it was a function of this, but I don't believe that politics didn't play a role in their decision to deplatform two out of the three uh, conservative channels that uh, used to be on their on their platform. So I'm I'm upset about that. And and uh, the marketplace of ideas extends beyond the government. It extends to uh, other institutions which uh, engage in in censorship. Uh, okay. Uh, Excellent book review of Gertrude Stein. Again, another point about that. Unlikely collaboration by Gertrude Stein and Barbara Wills. To understand her courage in such circumstances are complex. One has to wear at least attempt to put herself in her shoes. Yes, unless we read challenging books that compel us to think outside the box, we may be stuck in a daze. Challenges motivate your thoughts and make us face inevitable uh, critical thinking as well as shape our character. Thank you, Professor Dershowitz. Well, uh, I wish I had written that. You're you're 100% right. And, you know, that's why when I was a teacher for years, uh, if I ever saw students becoming comfortable in class, um, I would fa- I was a failure. I, I never wanted the student to be comfortable. Because the next move from comfort is yawning. I always wanted the students to sit at the ends of the chairs, to lean in. I want them to be provoked. I want them to be thinking all the time. I want their most sacred ideas to be challenged respectfully, respectfully, never in a bullying way. And teachers can be bullies too. But it was always for me, if you have an idea, let's test it. If you have a point of view, let's challenge it. That's the way to encourage critical thinking. I don't want to change your views. If you're a conservative, I want to make you a better conservative. If you're a liberal, I want to make you a better liberal. If you're a vo- if you're woke, I think I've probably given up on you, um, but maybe you'll have an open mind and maybe you'll be able to listen to some uh, reason. But I think there are extremists on both sides who don't listen to reason. But uh, those were not my students. Um, my students were people who are uh, prepared to keep an open mind. And I taught my students how to think and they taught me a lot. I learned a lot from my students. I would come back from a class and often tell my wife, uh, this was a good class. I learned something and I changed my mind as a result of something the students say. So I hope maybe uh, in the days to come, I can help you change your mind. You can help me change my mind. And remember, join our locals community at uh, dershow.locals.com. See you tomorrow.